Welcome to the Innovation Engine Podcast. I'm Will Sherlin with Three Pillars CEO David DeWolf. How are you doing today, Will? Good. How are you? Doing well. Looking forward to kicking this off. Absolutely. So today on our very first podcast, we'll be tackling an existential question. Is it time to bury the word innovation? Is innovation dead? Is that the question? I don't know. Interesting one to dive into. Let's hope not. We'll have to rename the podcast. (laughs) We'll also be talking about whether or not innovation is something you can taste. Taste. Mm. And we'll be talking about David's trip to CES out in Las Vegas. A lot of uh, new experiences. I got to see a lot of uh, interesting innovations. I don't think it's dead. (laughs) Good deal. So before we delve into that, into the question, is it time to bury the word innovation? Uh, We want to give you some thoughts on why we're recording this podcast in the first place. So, David, we're living in a day and age where Forrester says that software is now your brand. Um, What what does that mean to you and what does it mean for the companies that we work with? Yeah, well, I I think if you look and you step back... um, what is the digital economy, right? What has happened in the world of business? Um, What you see is that more and more businesses are becoming software businesses, right? They say software is your brand because software interacts with your customer more than your people do, more than any other way that your business interacts with your customers is through your software these days. And if you don't Um, reinforce your brand, your brand image through the software that you build, if it's not something that reflects your values, your culture, uh, your value proposition at the end of the day, then you have a brand message that is being pushed to your consumer in the predominant means for interaction with them that is um, fighting against the branding that your marketing department is doing. And so I think ultimately that's what the digital economy is all about is interacting with customers um, through digital means and even traditional services companies, even traditional businesses uh, that aren't thought of as technology companies today have that mindset. And these companies are building brand new revenue streams brand new customer interactions, brand new business units that are based on software and the delivery of information, content, interaction through these software channels. Um, And to me, that's what it's all about. That's what the revolution that's been going on uh, in the past several years is all about and um, where it brings us today. Nice. Thank you. So, yeah, I think that that kind of ties it back to our, our, our reason for, for being essentially is to provide companies, whether we work with them or not, uh, with the means to propel their businesses forward. Uh, and, and we think that software development is one thing that every company will need to master. That, that's right. And I, I think what's interesting about that, Will, is that um, in the old IT world, right, if you think about 10 years ago, 15 years ago, IT was this support function in business. Uh, we talked about the information age a lot, um, a while, several years ago. The information age was about how do you take information and data and optimize your internal systems and processes, have more insights into creating efficiencies. Today in the digital economy, um, information age 2.0, uh, the next generation of that is turning it on its head. And how do you interact with your customers with information and data? And how do you drive incremental business value? Not because you're pinching the pennies inside, but because you're adding more value to your consumer through 
that software through the information you give them through the data. Um, and um, that's where true innovation is coming from. And, um, you know, innovation, the over overused word of innovation. Um, I think we have to look at what, what does that really mean? And um, what does it mean to innovate? It's not the same as technological advancement. It's not the same as invention. Uh, this this innovation that we have today is about matching up the domain expertise, what the market needs, real business needs, and matching technological advancement to that, making sure we solve very real problems, um, very real challenges, add uh, very real value to the consumer at the end of the day, not just have technology for its own sake. And that is what Three Pillars is all about. We're about focusing on that business context, focusing on how do you truly disrupt markets? How do you truly um, innovate? And by that we mean, how do you truly add that type of value that you're changing the way we work, the way we live, the way we play with the software that you're building? So it's not about the software engineering well, that's a critical import, important part of it. Um, it's about what you surround it with. And, and that's how I think we're different from the other companies out there that are software development firms. We do a very good job of that. Um, we combine that engineering and make it purposeful engineering. It, it's for a purpose. It's for driving forward this concept of innovation, impacting markets, disrupting total industries, creating that new stickiness with your customer that's going to take your relationship to the next level. Yeah. So you talked about innovation being an overused word, and that's one of the <laughs> one of the the prompts that we discussed leading up to this podcast. There was a good article in the Harvard Business Review that I don't know that we necessarily agree with, but it, it made some interesting points that innovation, uh, you know, it pops up all over the place. Uh, Kellogg's last year, their CEO uh, caught some heat in the HBR article and in a Wall Street Journal article for deeming a new brand of their Pop Tarts innovative right, right, right. <laughs> uh, so so how well, do you it's a buzzword right so sure everybody wants to be innovative um but that doesn't mean that they are right mm -hmm. and i think you know the the new flavor of pop tart is it is it really innovative i, I, I don't know um well we may find out in a few minutes <laughs> okay good yeah, yeah. um there are two different kinds of uh Gone nutty pop cart pop tart. Okay, one is chocolate covered, one is plain, mm. and there are a few other flavors that I that I suggest may also be innovative, and may they may have missed the boat on on picking out which one they really thought was truly innovative for 2013. Okay, so we'll do a little taste test later on. Maybe pass it around the company and see what people think. I love it. Um, <laughs> uh, so um. Yeah, you know, one more thing on that, Will. Yeah. I, I just think this this concept of innovation. I think we have to go back to. Um, I don't think it's about incremental advancement, right? Improving a feature of something is not disruptive. It's not innovative, right? Mm -hmm. um, so pushing something from a nine to a ten, or from uh, you know M to N, um, isn't innovative, right? At the same time, coming up with a brand new invention um, is not innovative. Um, 
it's spectacular scientifically. It's spectacular from the perspective of technological advancement. But when, when we talk about innovation, we're talking about meeting business needs. It's both of these concepts coming together. Um, and so what we look for is brand new ways of doing things, right? If you look at what has happened in the media industry, um, there has been innovation in media, not because of the technical and digital platforms that now distribute content, but because those platforms, that software has fundamentally disrupted an entire industry. If you look at the economic pie, there used to be this um, very well-defined pie of this is the percent that the publishers got, this is what the distributors got, the content creators got this, and the ecosystem was well-defined. The technology came in and disrupted that. It turned it on its head so the whole pie was up for grabs. Um, that's innovation, when you can come in and disrupt an entire market and create a brand new way of doing things. So, so now, more people are consuming content, uh, whether it's video, audio, multimedia, text, doesn't matter, they're, they're consuming it through their phones and their computers, digital means, right? Mm -hmm. As opposed to over cable or through a television or through a newspaper. Um, to me, that's innovation. It's disrupted a market. Um, but the innovative technology behind it, it wasn't innovative until it was uh, applied to that problem. So you can distribute content over a wire and through cellular technology all day long, but if it doesn't actually hit the market and change behavior of users, I'm not convinced that it's innovative. I think it's just inventive. Uh, not to discredit it, I think, you know, we couldn't innovate without the invention, but it requires both. Sure. Got it. Uh, so, yeah, just to, to, to throw a few stats out and, and maybe combat a little bit of the notion that innovation is, is dead. Nick Bilton, who's uh, the, the writer for the Bits blog and the New York Times, recently had his... Uh, 1,000th blog post posted or published rather uh, over the course of four years since 2009 since Nick Bilton started blogging for the New York Times uh, Apple's market capitalization was 180 billion now 500 billion there's a great example right Will I mean think about how they've innovated all of the technology of the iPhone existed before the iPhone right it took this concept of a digital music player and combined it with the concept of a cell phone and combined it with you know access to um, you know data or content through the web. It just put it in one device and gave it a form factor that people wanted to use in a new way. That's innovation, right? They didn't invent any of those underlying technologies. They were all there. Anybody could have done it, but they pieced them together into a form factor, into an experience that consumers really wanted to use and changed an industry. So I want to ask you about that in the context of wearables. Uh, yeah. You recently had a piece published in Pando Daily on wearables and how mm -hmm. they'll find their way into our wardrobe in the form of clothing. Yeah. Um, I'm curious to see how the whole smartwatch thing unfolds sure. and to see if that's actually a product people use. My supposition is it's an additional product that yeah. nobody necessarily needs yeah. because they already have it and they're carrying it around. Maybe not so in, much, right? In, in their pocket. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I don't know about the, the smartwatch itself. I actually have the same questions. Um, I think a lot of it depends on how it is digested by the individual people, right? Do people actually want it? I, I know I personally 
am not desiring a watch that's a smart watch for the sake of the smart watch. I do think there are some cool things. If I look at my wrist, uh, right now I have a watch on that mm -hmm. I use to tell time. I also happen to have a Fitbit device on. Um, I look at this Fitbit device and I think it could do a lot more for me. And I'm, well, I think it's one of the best products in the market right now for what it does. It feels very immature to me. And there's a lot, uh, I wish it was, uh, you know, measuring my biometrics, for example, and mm -hmm. telling me what my body temperature and what my heart rate is doing and matching it with the um, data that it's already collecting. And I think that would be powerful. Um, when I think about smartwatches and the evolution, what I think is probably going to happen is that some of these different things are going to start to combine and we're going to figure out how consumers want to use them. Uh, so the supposition that I put forward in that um, blog article that you are uh, referencing on Pando Daily was that I think sometimes when the user interface gets out of the way and is baked into something that we already have is when the innovation truly begins to take off. So I already wear a watch. Um, so you know what? Maybe it is the case that if you could combine my Fitbit device with my watch, yep. um, that now all of a sudden, yeah, a smartwatch for me would be a lot more powerful. And that happened to also create an opportunity to embed more technology in it so it could have better data, mm -hmm. then I'm all for that too. Um, but I also think that, you know, everybody in the world doesn't wear a watch, right? Sure. Um, so is it that we're going to go to the watch or maybe there's an opportunity um, in the clothes that I wear, right? If I want um, heart rate monitoring, I don't know, maybe my shirt can do a better job of monitoring that. And maybe um, there's other information um, that's collected and, and it's a interface that I already wear. Like everybody in the world is wearing clothes of some sort, right? right? Uh, or at least Hopefully. we hope so, yeah. right? <laughs> um, but I think that's the fundamental question. And it's not necessarily that I'm predicting that it's actually going to be, you know, devices embedded within shoes or within pants or shirts. I don't know where it's going to play out. But the supposition is that the technology will begin to get out of the way so that I don't have to wear another device. I don't have to add, you know, I don't have three wrists. So I have a watch on one and a Fitbit on the other, you know, sure would be nice if I could get rid of one of those and collapse yeah. it down to one um, or even get rid of both of them because it's somewhere else in something that I already use, right? A lot of people wear glasses, right? So Google Glass is another wearable that's out there. Mm -hmm. I'm not convinced that's gonna take off because yeah, some people wear glasses, others don't. Do people really wanna have something else on them? Yep. No, they want it embedded in the way they already work, the way they already live, the way they already play. Some of the thing, these things are useful um, in, in very discrete applications, but the phone is something that most people were already carrying. What we did was change the device, my old flip phone turned into a smartphone. Um, I had to upgrade it. I didn't have to do something brand new. Mm -hmm. um, and so that was really the concept that I was putting out there that I think some of these form factors are going to change and evolve and become even more usable and easier for the population to digest. Sure. So you were out at, at CES this year? Yeah. First time? Uh, it was my first time. Uh, very, very impressive. Overwhelming almost how big it was. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and impressive. Did you see anything there that really caught your eye? You know, I, I, one of the things I do when I go to conferences like that is I look for trends. Um, it, it's not necessarily one thing or two things. I, I think there were a couple of things that caught my eye, um, but there were the big trends that I noticed. Um, I think number one was um, the automobile. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm not just talking about smart cars or connected cars. 
Or self-driving cars. Or self-driving cars, all of the above. What I'm talking about is the ecosystem around the car. I think a lot of people are realizing that the car is one of these staples of life. Um, just like our clothes are. Mm -hmm. And everybody uses a car. How much more could we use a car for? And so what I saw was not just the advancements in the automobiles themselves, but this trend that so much of entertainment, so much of connectivity, so much of advancements in all sorts of different areas was centered around the car and using that form factor that already exists. So I wouldn't be surprised in, in five years uh, if a whole... A lot of us had sensors in the seats of our vehicle uh, to do be, be doing some of this, uh, you know, monitoring of our bodies. How are we reacting to certain situations with red lights? I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, but I saw this ecosystem around the car as a very central theme. Um, I don't care if you were in the automobile section of CES or if you were somewhere else, somehow the car popped out um, as being a central theme. So that was one thing I saw. Wearables are obviously very hot, but I, I would also say that with wearables, a lot of it right now is technology for its own sake. I think a lot of these wearable companies are still trying to figure out um, how to take this technology and apply it to real world situations. Mm -hmm. um, one of the companies that I saw out there that was perhaps uh, leading that charge and had a lot of press um, announcements with LG, for example, was Valencell. Mm -hmm. uh, Valencell actually provides these biometrics uh, that, that I was talking about really wanting yeah. uh, when I stumbled across them. I was very intrigued because they have the ability to pull those biometrics from different form factors uh, and their technology embeds within the existing wrist, wristband or within the existing headphones um, and uses um, you know, some different technology so that it cuts through the noise. Uh, a lot of these devices right now, if they're trying to measure biometrics, can't measure it um, in a high, high noise situation. And by that, mean, I mean a lot of activity. So while you're exercising, for example, mm -hmm. take your heart rate at rest, but not when you're exercising. What value is that? Um, and so I think that I, I really like their approach. Their entire business model is oriented around embedding their technology in form factors that already exist. And I thought that was very compelling um, in a very noisy market. There were a lot of... Um, companies focusing on the wearable market and the technology around that, um, they had a different twist on that that I very, found very interesting. The other theme that I saw was gamification. Uh, there was a lot of convergence of technology around gamification. There was one company out there that had embedded sensors in a basketball. And so you can have a digital coach of how you're shooting. All right. So you're shooting, mm -hmm. hey, try to increase your angle by 13% because you just missed at this. Right? Very fascinating, yeah. uh, you know, type of um, use of technology. Um, but then also applying gamification to other areas, right? Um, learning and education. How sure. do you use the um, natural learning that occurs in a game and that um, addiction to the fun and the experience of it to impact different periods of life. And I, I think um, gamification is something that I see growing a lot as well. So those are the three trends I really saw. Um, the, the importance of the automobile ecosystem, not just the advancement in the automobile itself, the wearables and how they're advancing um, and how they need to really figure out their place and how to get out of the way. Uh, and then number three, the, the gamification. Uh, that's what I was most intrigued by. Okay, got it. Um, well, are you uh, are you hungry? Did you have I'm, breakfast? Uh, you know, I, I'm not a breakfast guy. I should. My wife tells me all the time it's the most important meal of the day, but I usually just have Starbucks on the way in. 
Well, so I am hungry. It's that time of day. Great. Let's maybe try some Pop-Tarts and see if we can taste innovation. Let's see if we can taste it. All right. I'm all for it. All right. So we'll, we'll get some photo evidence of this so that, we, so that we have it for posterity. But what we have in front of us are four different kinds of Pop-Tarts. Uh, the Gone Nutty Peanut Butter and the Gone Nutty Chocolate Fudge. What is it? Uh, cho- chocolate Peanut Butter. Chocolate Peanut Butter. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and, and these are apparently what the CEO of Kellogg's caught flack for saying were innovative products in 2013. <laughs> but we also have, and I would submit that these may be just as innovative, maybe they didn't come out in 2013, uh, confetti cupcake hmm. and cookies and cream. Now, Why would you submit that they're just as innovative? I'm curious. So confetti cupcake, like if, if I were sitting in the Kellogg's, factory dreaming up you know outlandish tastes Mm -hmm. that i would maybe submit yeah confetti cupcake would be up there like i I wouldn't even know what to expect that to taste like until i saw the box right when it should taste like a a plain cupcake with vanilla icing on it and uh sprinkles or jimmies or you know i think they go by different names and in different parts of the country So one of the questions I would ask is, number one, does it meet a real demand in the marketplace, right? It, it, Kellogg's is a pretty smart company, so it must be de- meeting demand, a need out there or a desire out there. I, you know, I'm not their target market, apparently, but uh, you know, it must be de- meeting that demand. Um, but then I wonder what the technology is behind it that is actually um, you know, pushing this forward that allows us to taste these flavors. I'm sure they're artificially created right something tells me it it reminds me um early early in my career i did some uh uh, quite a bit of consulting work for frito-lay and uh we used to get taste tests of the quote innovative chips that they were coming out and i remember when the uh seven layer burrito chip uh was first uh, come out and i don't even remember if it actually ever hit market or not um but uh i I was astonished that I could actually taste all seven layers of that chip. <laughs> I would call that innovative. I all could right, taste so, that. Yeah, that yeah. is amazing. Um, <laughs> and on the chip front, you know, I haven't had them yet, and it pains me to say this, but I would guess if we had to put forward an innovative food for the last couple of years, probably the Doritos Locos or the Cool Ranch Doritos Locos, that might, might. meet the standards of innovative. It might. It might. Let's see if we can taste innovation. Let's see if we can. I'm gonna, I'm right. gonna try the gone nutty peanut butter. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna do the uh, parallel here, the chocolate peanut butter. Gone nutty here. Does it make okay, us so go nutty? It's so it's in gold packaging, and I don't know if you know this about me. We'll find out a lot about each other over the course of this podcast. I'm a bit of a pop tart kind of sort. Oh yeah, they typically come in silver packages, so Whoa. that's innovative. Okay. There's also an exclamation point after gone nutty. Could be seen as innovative marketing. Mm-hmm. Smells good. It does smell good. I can smell the chocolate on these. <laughs> Holy cow. Yeah, that's what I can smell from over here. Mm. The peanut butter is good. Try this chocolate peanut butter, Mom. See what you think. I got to try the pure... Mm-hmm. The chocolate overwhelmed me a little bit with that one. I'm not sure if this is turning into a taste test or a rude, real judgment of uh, innovation. Uh, yeah, maybe a little bit of both. Wow. 
So I'm not getting innovation out of it. Nothing wild. Like that seven layer chip that I have. Mm-hmm. I was like, wow, how did they do that? That's got to be crazy. You yeah. Know, go in and figure out the science. Not, I don't even, know not even in like the back end or the aftertaste? I'm not. You know, like when you, when you have wine and you get a little hint right. of oak on the back end? I'm not picking it up here. I, right. I, I feel like they put chocolate and peanut butter into a Pop-Tart. What do you think? Are you picking up the innovation? I, you know, I don't know if I, I don't know if I can taste the innovation. I yeah. thought I could smell it when we opened them up. It was powerful. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I don't know if it was innovative. Uh, I'm a stuff. naysayer. <laughs> okay, we better try these uh, confetti cupcakes. Is those were the ones that yes, you thought? I think, I think those might be innovative. I think. That, let's see. Cookies and cream is also good. Tastes a lot like the Gone Nutty chocolate. Here's your confetti cupcake here. So I have a confession to make. I'm not I'm not a huge cupcake fan. Frosting for me is not mm-hmm. one of my favorite things. Okay. And I taste a lot of frosting there. So I'm yeah. not sure if I'm a good judge because I'm I'm not impartial. Sure. Hmm. I think I might be able to taste innovation there. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I don't I know. I can see that. I mean, you definitely taste the jimmies and the frosting, right? <laughs> yeah, for sure. You can taste the jimmies, <laughs> without a doubt, which is probably my favorite part. All right. So there you have it. I think, um, what are we saying? Not incredibly innovative, but there may be an element that uh, we can get, cut the guy a little slack. Huh? Yeah, I think innovation is not dead. So I think it's alive and well, you know? Maybe not in the particular flavor of Pop-Tart that they claimed, but I think it's still with us. I think it's probably not a word that we should banish from the lexicon. Maybe we should talk about it less, but not on this podcast. But And maybe we should talk more about how you actually do it Yeah, and talk about what it really is um, so that we can help others crank up their innovation engine. Yeah. Drive that machine that propels businesses forward for sure. All right, good deal. Well, that about wraps it up for this edition of The Innovation Engine. Thank you very much, David. Absolutely. Thanks for hosting today. Uh, It was a great conversation. I don't think innovation is dead, and I'm not convinced you can taste it. (laughs) Well, the jury is out on whether or not you can taste innovation. Maybe you can be the judge of that. Uh, Next time, we'll have Dan Clausen on to talk about innovation in the enterprise, Uh, and he'll be sharing some real-world experiences from his time at PBS. Until then, enjoy those Pop-Tarts.